2: This is a Virgin Media Originals podcast series.
3: Hello and welcome to The Tonight Show. We sit down with Minister for Education Norma Foley as she confirms that leaving CERT 2022 is to revert to its traditional format despite calls for a repeat of last year's hybrid model.
4: There was a request from students and parents and others around the table that there would be um, additional accommodations made to the paper and i I was happy to include that and announce that today shots
3: fired in the Dáil as the opposition says that the internal report into the celebratory gathering in the department of foreign affairs simply does not go far enough as the inaugural saint bridget's day festivities bridget 2022 takes place We look at the meaning behind the festival and if it's time we view the patron saint in a new light. Get in touch on Twitter with your comments and questions on hashtag TonightVMTV. Well, despite repeated calls from students and the opposition for another hybrid Leaving Cert on the basis that many students have experienced significant disruption to their studies due to the pandemic, today the Minister for Education confirmed that Leaving Cert 2022 will revert to the traditional format. The Minister was not available to come into studio and she's taking part in parliamentary questions in the Dáil tonight. But I sat down with her earlier and she began by telling us the reasoning behind the decision.
4: Having considered all the different views, and there were many competing views, many different views around the table, I I did announce today that the Leaving Certificate exam um, would take place and will take place in June, but it will be a significantly different exam to what students would have experienced in 2019, 2018. There's significant uh, changes to the papers. There is a significant accommodation. For example, um, on the maths paper, where students would be normally required to answer 10 questions on paper one and paper two, they now are asked to answer six. Um, In the English paper, uh, higher level English paper two, The most significant, I I think, uh, part of study for that paper um, occurs on paper two, where there are three different sections that they have to answer. Going forward, they will only have to answer two rather than the three. And again, to be very clear, that those um, changes and accommodations have been made not just in the written papers; they've also been applied to the orals, the coursework, um, the practicals. Yeah, and And you can see that there there are changes right across the board. Absolutely. For example, in the orals, just to finish on that one, in in Irish, where they would normally have had, we'd say, 20 short tour to prepare for, they now have ten in Spanish oral they would have five role plays to prepare for now they have three so you know there was a request from students and parents and others around the table that there would be um, additional accommodations made to the paper and I, I was happy to include that and announce that today yeah
3: student sentiment as as you know very very strongly though did favor accredited grades with the option to sit the exam sixty eight percent of students surveyed by their their own union um, wanted the hybrid model and they will say that you've ignored the student perspective here. We've heard already from students today who are coming out saying we already know the leaving cert it's a hugely stressful um, exam um, for students and that this decision at this time a week ahead of the mocks is appalling timing and very difficult for them to turn it round to sit that traditional exam as envisaged in June.
4: Well, in the in the first instance, I would say to you that there is nothing traditional as I've already outlined about this exam. It is significantly changed for all of the reasons that I've already outlined to you. And in, in reference to, to making the decision at this point, I think it was very important that there would be consultation and that every voice around the table would not just be listened to around the table, but indeed would engage with me. And I have done all of that. And indeed, we're making the announcement this year earlier than we did last year. But equally so in terms of... Good the enough,
3: pres- it was very, very late, but the 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 first of February, does that? Would you categorise that as early?
4: But what I I do want to, I'm I'm just saying comparably speaking, but what I do want to say to you is, I I absolutely accept that we are in COVID and there've been unprecedented challenges in the last number of years um, for the school sector, indeed for wider society. But but we have met each of those challenges. And in terms of Leading Certificate 2022, the planning for that began once Leading Certificate 2021 ceased. And indeed, prior to students returning to school in August, there were um, announcements and guidelines issued to schools in terms of changes that were being made to the papers recently in the last number of weeks also changes uh, to accommodate students around um, the orals and the music practicals and oh, when they would so it's been a continuous you know um, um a- a- arrangement of, of of um meeting the needs and the demands although, as they arise in a covid environment no final
3: decision made until today
4: this specifically is in relation, you've asked me in relation to the accredited grades aspect. And absolutely that was considered and it was worked through and I I heard the commentary around the table and it was worked through. And the issue with the accredited grades for the class of Leaving Certificate 2022 is that we have one in four of the students who do not have junior cycle data. And I know um, people will ask why would that be relevant? Why is that a concern? It is a concern one in four of the students in in leaving certificate 22 did not have the opportunity to take the junior cycle exam because the junior cycle exams were cancelled in uh, 2020 and when we um, look at the accredited grades model a teacher provides his or her estimated mark for his or her student because they know the ability of their own student, but they do not know the ability of a student in another class. And so in a national exam, there always has to be comparability. And if I could just finish the point, because it's an important one. And so to allow for that comparability, when we were doing the accredited grades process last year, we relied on the student's own data so that that comparability could take place now for one in four of our students we don't have that data mm-hmm. and so um, but there is for three and four of the students there is indeed absolutely for 75% of the students yeah. but so, then I you mean, were alternatives
3: look looked at was there exploration of other ways of getting around this yes indeed to there, make it easier and less stressful for students this year
4: absolutely for example you're quite correct 75% of the students um, do have the data so you could use that 75% of data and um, for the but the 25% would not have their own data being used. That would not be fair to them. You could look at other methods, for example um, using um, historical school data or school profiling, which was categorically ruled out last year and I think there was unanimity that that shouldn't be used. So what I'm saying to you is that we were not in a position to offer the accredited grades this year in a manner in which we offered them last year and therefore it would not be as fair to the class of 2022 as it was fair last year. And at the end of the day, students do want fairness in terms of whatever process, whether it's the accredited grades or the written exams. And we were not in a position to provide that level of fairness that we provided last year via the accredited grades model.
3: Okay, there is talk of other models being used to get the t- to get those
4: and, and absolutely, as and I have and students. as I have said to you, of course there are there are other opportunities. But the point is that it must be fair to all students. And you've referenced the 75%. Is that really fair to the 25% who don't have their own? data everybody else's data can be used but they don't have that so certainly you can look at a variety of models but at the, the guiding force here has been that it would be as fair as we can possibly make it and so we have looked to the exams but equally so another important point that was raised with me was around the issue of grade inflation and again we go back to fairness here and the the, the students in particular and indeed around the table it was raised with me that the class of 2022 felt that they could be disadvantaged Against the class of 2021 because of the high grade profile um, um, that was achieved by the class of 2021. So, I have given the commitment that the the grade profile, the grade inflation for the class of 2022 will be at a similar level to what was achieved for 2021. And again, to be very clear. They will still have to, they won't have the hybrid option, they will have to sit the traditional exam.
3: But, Claire, could could I I clarify the radical changes that you you say you've made? Isn't it still regressive though? In 2016, this is six years ago uh, this year, the UN Committee on the Rights of Children recommended that Ireland reform the Leaving Cert as a matter of urgency. The terminal exam found to be a disproportionate level of mental stress on our students. And yet here was an opportunity. So two years of change, the impossible proved to be the possible and yet this year we are reverting to those traditional exams that whether you say it's fair or not, a lot of students out there would say this is not fair on us and change needs to happen.
4: Well well indeed and I I think you will see in the last two years um, and again this year we have made significant changes to the experience of leaving certificate for students so that students would have a pathway forward whether it is into third level apprenticeship the world of work and we achieved that and remember we achieved it in unprecedented times right throughout COVID and you were correct about senior cycle reform and the need for senior cycle reform and it is something that uh, I am hugely committed to but it is not something that can be done overnight and and through the lens of of, of COVID we will take enormous learnings from COVID as to how we can move forward with senior cycle and when we speak of senior cycle we're not just speaking about reform in terms of the leaving certificate established exam as you would refer to it we're also talking about the, the transition year programs we're talking about leaving certificate applied we're talking about the LCV programs and I am hugely but committed then, what to that. The, what's
3: the timeline on that because we're hearing it'll be 2030 it's 2022 now it'll be 2030 before those reforms come out for the Leaving Cert?
4: Well, again, I will say to you that there's a considerable body of work has already been done to progress um, senior cycle reform. Um, Do you plan I will, on fast tracking that? I Certainly, we will be moving as quickly as we possibly can, because I see, I, I come from this background myself, I see that there is a need for senior cycle reform. I see that we achieved a great, uh, a great deal via Covid, but I need to make one last point and relevant point here. The students, and you you have particularly emphasized the students, the students asked for a number of different things, four in particular. They asked, number one, that there would be clarity, we have given that today. They asked that there would be greater choice in terms of the exams, that has been given today. They also asked that the grade inflation issue would be addressed, I have given that today. And they've also asked in terms of the accredited grades, and I have explained, the accredited grades that we can offer this year would not be as fair as what was offered last year right. and fairness must be I w- at the centre I want of what to move, we're doing. I
3: want to move briefly to other matters now and in the wake of the outcry over gender-based violence and indeed cases involving violence against women in the past weeks and even in recent days in Kilkenny and in Cork, many have said let's start with education. What is going to be done around the likes of sex education, education around consent in our schools and do you believe it's about time that the state took full control over relationships and sexual education in our
2: schools?
4: Well, as it stands, there is a significant review of um, a relationship to sexual education in our schools, SPHE, and considerable work has already been advanced and the specifications in terms of the junior cycle will be issued this year and there will be further consultation. And we will be accelerating all of that process um, for all of, of, of our schools, from primary right through second level, um, as a matter of priority. Um, there is considerable work done in our schools already there is also um, a coexistent existent we we'll say to this review that is ongoing at present there is a significant body of work in terms of a toolkit that has been made available to yes, our schools.
3: Yes and that is individual schools making decisions and trying to educate um, pupils as they see fit but there's no across the board formatted form of education in this regard. Well that's and not quite correct
4: Claire. in terms of... Um, there's every a flourish is, program um, say in our
3: primary school but that's been be developed um, by, by religious interests. But in if which I could children hear- will learn about, you know, saying a prayer for for, for, for the angel if they're in if, if their personal safety is is called into question, um, and puberty is a gift from God. These kind of issues. That raise concerns, that raise alarm, maybe uh, among parents, that not enough is being done, and that our religious and our, our, our sex education, certainly in this regard, um, is letting down children, in turn, who will turn into adults and need to know about how society works.
4: Well, again, as I, I will say to you, there is a very clear curriculum both at primary and at second level, um, that all schools must adhere to, and all students are entitled to the correct information, and the correct information must be given to our students. Free from religious influence. But what I will say, what I will say is there is absolutely um, a need uh, for review of the system. I've acknowledged that, that review is underway. It is my intention that we would expedite that review as quickly as possible because I see the the importance and the uh, significance that must be placed on this in our schools.
3: On the gathering at the Department of Foreign Affairs, and we had that internal report that was released last night, 20 officials, mask-free, engaging in celebrations, what do you
4: feel about it? Well I think in the first instance it should not have happened um, I think there's unanimity um, from all concerned those who were there um, uh, at that gathering and even um, those outside of it, they, it. This should not have happened. And Do you believe was-
3: that there in that report there's been full accountability Sinn Féin saying, um, Pierre Doherty was saying earlier that the role of Simon Coveney the Minister for Foreign Affairs and all of this is absent in
4: that report. Do you think that's right? Well I think to be fair now, the Minister was not present at that gathering, he was he not was, part he of was, it. He
3: was aware afterwards
4: that the gathering had taken well, place. Well I, I think the correct procedure has been followed. The Minister was not there. Um, it was correct that this would be investigated, that there would be a report done on it. The report has been very clear in its findings that this should not have happened, uh, it should not have been allowed to happen and um, there there has been um, three individuals are, are now asked to, um, to, to make a, a monetary donation. And I think that's right and proper. And um, I, I think, you know, um, the... Does the, the Minister have more
3: questions to answer in front of the this
4: Committee? Well, to be fair to the Minister, I think he has made himself available at every point to answer any questions that need to be addressed. And um, again, I would say to you, he was very um, supportive of this review within the department taking place. Um, The review is now completed. There is an outcome. The the review pulls no punches, as it were. It's very clear that this shouldn't have happened. And um, I I think that is as it should be.
3: Okay, there we leave it. Minister Norma Foley, thank you.
4: Thanks very much, Clare.
3: And we'll be discussing the issue of that report into the gathering in the Department of Foreign Affairs a little later, but first I'd like to get a reaction to that interview with Minister Norma Foley with my panel here in studio, where we're joined by Minister of State and the Department of Transport, Hildegard Nutten, uh, People Before Profit, Solidarity TD, Mick Barry, political editor for the Irish Independent, Philip Ryan, and via Skype tonight by President of the Irish Secondary Students Union, Emer Neville. And I'd like to come to you first, Emer, if I may, and listening to what Norma Foley had to say there, the emphasis on uh, the de- decision that she made was one to ensure fairness right across the board, uh, that that was the only way to ensure it was to go back to the exam holds because of the problem getting data because of the, the, the junior certificate and the fact that one in four students who will be sitting the Leaving Cert this year won't have sat the, the junior cert. What do you make of that?
5: Well, I think firstly, uh, students have been very clear about the fact that uh, they were disappointed with this decision today. A number of students went to school today with anxiety, with fear and with the lack of clarity. But luckily for them, um, something was announced today and students have welcomed that decision. Now, what we're seeing um, among students is, you know, the question, why couldn't the hybrid work? And I think the minister explained that very clearly. um, And it's very clear to us as well that we cannot be picking and choosing between which students do well and which students do not do well. Um, Whatever this decision is, um, thankfully, we do know now, but it needed to be a decision that was fair and that worked for all students. And unfortunately, there just was a lack of data there. And while many people will find this unacceptable, um, we ourselves have had to come to a term with this and just realise that it was not an option this year. And it's very unfortunate that students have had to go through this and wait so long for this decision. But it is a decision that we have now and we will be working with the department to ensure that these okay. changes are fair so, and consulting with students on them as well. So
3: what, I, what I'm sensing for you tonight, Emer is that this is fair enough that the decision made was the correct one.
5: Well, we do believe that the hybrid would have been the, you know, it would have been a favourable option from students. Um, but if it's not possible, um, if it's not possible to perform this um, option in a fair way, where every student has the best chance, well, then it shouldn't go ahead because every single student, regardless of who they are, regardless of where they they are from, deserves the best chance. And and if those students who do not um, who who do not get the chance to sit the written junior certificate in 2020, if they're not being given an equal chance to those that did get the chance to sit the junior certificate, well, then we should not be um, advocating for this option. We should be advocating for all students to have a fair and equal process. Um, and unfortunately, that isn't the option that, that students have wanted to see. We, we spent a number of weeks ourselves advocating for this hybrid. Um, but it's been made very clear to us that it's just not an option and it's not feasible this year.
3: OK, not an option, not feasible. Um, in terms of how this, the, the political reaction to all of this, Philip, apart from the opposition saying it's unfair on students, is this a done deal, essentially?
6: Oh, of course it's a done deal. And it's a very reasonable contribution from Emer there, which is, uh, is slightly different from what the, the opposition parties, and especially Sinn Féin, have been calling for, because they've been insisting it has to be the hybrid model. But now it seems the students who, who put it on the table in the first instance, they themselves have accepted um, that it's just not possible. And what is being provided is a bit of a win for the students, really. When you when you look at what has being presented, the, the Leaving start will be far easier this year, because it's taken into account that uh, students had less time in classes, less uh, tuition so there's more choices about what you can choose and what you can do when it comes to the exams. So I think the union there, um, they've played it really well and they can claim this as as a big win.
3: Right, Okay. but there still is a lot of catch-up, I mean, in terms of, you know, the number of of days that this particular class of 2022 has missed, Mick Barry, and then the, the close contact and all the other factors that mean they didn't get as many school hours that they would have wanted to. It does put stress on students, would you agree?
1: Students are under huge mental, press, uh, mental health pressures. Uh, anyone who's in touch with the students uh, will know that. Uh, and the amount of time that they have lost uh, has been very, very large. I mean, students who weren't able to go to school because they were close contacts, because they had COVID themselves, the teachers were out, and then you had the lockdown last year. And I think what the government have delivered here falls far short of what the majority of students that I've been speaking to want. They feel let down by the government. They feel betrayed by the government. Mm-hmm. And they feel that um, there's always the possibility of an alternative. For example, for example, if we were in a situation now where we were in April coming into May and the schools were locked down, society was locked down. Mm-hmm. Right? Is the Department of Education saying that there would be no Leaving Cert this year? Of course they would come up with an alternative proposal in a situation We we are not in
3: that situation. I suppose the counter argument would be we are in the situation where, you know, mock exams are taking place next week and students are able to go into school and hopefully the school term can be completed with exams at the end of that.
1: Yes, but the point is that the Minister's attempt to echo the old Margaret Thatcher line that there is no alternative. There is always an alternative. The best brains in the Department of Education could come up with an alternative. And of course, the other thing that could be done and should be done is that today is CAO deadline day. Mm -hmm. A huge amount of the pressure and the stress would be taken out of the situation if the government were to invest in a serious increase in the number of places in third level. It's wrong to force these students who've been through so much to compete against each other for a limited number of places in third level. There needs to be a big increase in the number of places there.
3: you know, the grade inflation issue was something that was brought up and I think that the grades are going to be similar to the grades that Leaving Cert students of last year would have got in, in order to get into college. Um, that, that was one way of saying, you know, this is, this is fair and reasonable on students. But the timing around this has been called into question. It's February 1st today. It's a week out from the mock exams. They haven't been adjusted for these changes that the minister is talking about.
0: I think Minister Foley has done a very good job here. What, they, what the students wanted was certainty and clarity, and she, she has given that today. And. Absolutely, this has been a very stressful and, and Leaving Cert year always is, and it's added more to that now with, with the pandemic. But I think with the range of choice on the exam papers, um, and I think her explanation today to uh, students, and we heard from were there today, which I think was a very positive feedback. And we're all aware, we all remember how anxious we were um, at the, when we're all going through our own Leaving Cert. And I think this clarity around giving greater choice mm-hmm. and flexibility to students, I think is to be welcomed. And even now going into the, into the the mocks there is that certainty given today which i think was really needed and that is as a result of the I was the collaboration the consultation with students with uh school yeah. the, bodies and management as well and there was never going to be a perfect answer here we all knew that mm-hmm. but i think this is probably the most fair and the best result that we could get at this time
3: on the wider point, though, about this the need for change and reform in the system, it isn't working for everyone. It seems that change will be a long time coming when we're describing these changes today, as in fewer questions on individual papers, as being radical.
0: Yeah and and I I agree we need to reform the Leaving Cert, I think we're all agreed on that and work has commenced but we also need to be looking at other areas like apprenticeships and this is rarely mentioned in this conversation. Um, I think it's talked
3: about quite a lot when we talk about reforming the Leaving Cert, the problem is that we're not seeing the change in the area that students want to see.
0: Well if you look at what Minister Simon Harris has done in relation to apprenticeships there's a a number of apprenticeships on offer now at the moment when you go onto the CAO website there is an option there around getting an, an apprenticeship and going down that road and there's really great careers in finance and engineering. These are all apprenticeships, not only the trades and we need to be looking at the culture around that and encouraging uh, people who are interested in doing this that there is a really good career ahead for you and it's not all about going to university. And and that's
3: one to look back on again because the issue of reform um, if it it is 2030 before it happens, that's something that uh, plenty of students may take issue with. That is all we have time for and that my thanks to Emer Neville who joined us with her views on Skype tonight. My studio panel will be staying with and after the break, Champagne Gate rumbles on.
2: Welcome back.
3: Opposition figures are calling for an independent investigation into a celebration at the Department of Foreign Affairs during lockdown. A report into the celebration stated that a serious breach of social distancing rules had occurred. Well, earlier in the Dáil, Sinn Féin's Piers Doherty criticised the report and the Minister for Foreign Affairs, Simon Coveney.
1: This is typical, uh, Ken Corlia, in my view, of a minister now that is out of touch, that has been
6: at the helm for too long, and that his judgment has been called into question now more and more often. I'm genuinely taken back by your tone and your attitude on this one. You are the deputy leader of a party um, that invited almost 2,000 members and supporters onto the streets of Belfast. And then to a political rally, essentially in Biltown Cemetery, at a time when the ordinary men and women that you speak about were limited. When we 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 well, the ordinary men and women you are right. talking about were distraught because they couldn't attend the funeral of their loved ones.
3: Well, still here in studio as Minister of State in the Department of Transport, Hildegard Nocton, People Before Profit, Solidarity TD, Mick Barry, and a political editor for the Irish Independent, Philip Ryan. And Philip, 19 months on from this, what could now be considered that infamous get together at the Department of Foreign Affairs, did this report by the current Secretary General of that department bring clarity on what happened that night?
6: In, in many respects it was comprehensive and it was quite cutting in some of its recommendations and some of its findings and the current Secretary General didn't really hold back in some of his comments on his predecessor uh, Niall Burgess. He, he said he was responsible for the gathering. He said uh, he um, made life difficult or made uh, junior staff feel it put them in a more difficult situation mm-hmm. by getting together for this picture, but it, there, there, there does seem to be some questions still left out there. Uh, for instance, like we were told, this wasn't planned. This wasn't impromptu, but you did have people showing up who were on maternity leave. There was plans put in place to, for watching the vote. They discussed where they would watch the vote, so they, they knew they were coming together to, to, to view this thing, uh, to, to, to see the vote come in. And they, they will try to uh, draw a demarcation and, and, and say there's a difference between that that part to get together and the fact that wine just suddenly appeared uh, once the vote, and it was just you know, all the good feeling and and, uh, celebration that Mm -hmm. that it was almost accidentally that they started drinking glasses of champagne in the middle of the, the office.
3: Yeah, questions too. Um, and we heard Pierre Starty earlier also stating that, you know, within this report that Joe Hackett compiled, we didn't hear um, about the role of the Minister for Foreign Affairs in all of this, Simon Coveney. Now, he was there later on. And at that point, that, that selfie crowd, you know, that, that photo had taken place. Uh, but nonetheless, he was there and he, he would have known about the gathering. Um, so, questions there to be answered, the opposition say.
0: Well, I think it's very clear that Minister Coveney would be the first to say that that breach of uh, social distancing guidelines shouldn't have happened. Uh, This was people at work, in the workplace, um, they were socially distanced, and, for, and they came together for a selfie, and it was a moment of, I think, a, a really a misguided, misjudged moment, and it's important to say that Minister Coveney uh, came later in the evening uh, to thank uh, staff who had worked so hard that day on Ireland securing a place on the United Nations Council, and left after 15 minutes, went back to his own office, so he was not part of that uh, um, event, and again, I think mm. we would all say that it shouldn't have happened, Minister Coveney has said that it was a serious breach of the guidelines and it was uh, reviewed and it was investigated by the accounting officer which is the secretary general as should be because this was a breach within a workplace and it is up to the secretary general of the department the the minister would
3: have would have would have known about it and there were no sanctions 19 months ago and it's only come to light you know in the past few weeks well it came it came to light around around christmas time um and it's it's dragging now into this month and the minister you know, having to clarify, you know, what he knew and why he didn't act and his handling of the matter.
0: And I think... Minister Coveney has, I suppose, been clear in that he asked the Secretary-General to carry out a review. And it's important, I suppose, there is a distinction between, um, I suppose, accountability or any HR matters or staffing matters within the, within the department. That is not a matter for any minister to um, instigate any kind of disciplinary proceedings. That is up to the, ac- uh, the accounting officer, which is the Secretary-General. And that was done. And I, even the Taoiseach today in the Dáil was, was very clear um, in relation to, I suppose, the facts that came out in that uh, report and I think as I say the, the Minister is accountable to the Oireachtas and uh, he will appear and I understand okay. the Oireachtas will be asking him to come there but it's a very important to say Minister Coveney was not part of that it was uh, members within the staff, within the department who breached the uh, regulations. I want to ask about that because
3: you, you, you were shaking your head there when, when you know, Hildegard was explaining earlier you know, the Minister wasn't part of that celebration.
1: Sure, okay. So uh, just a wee bit of context first okay? because this was at the same time as people who couldn't go to funerals of loved ones, uh, who had loved ones dying in nursing homes and they couldn't visit them. And that is the reason why people are so upset with the carry on that we saw uh, in the Department of uh, Foreign Affairs. Um, you know, the minister says that, uh, you know, you say that he, he is the first to say that it shouldn't have happened, right? Um, well, He knew about it fairly quickly, very slow to get an investigation underway. Then you have an in-house investigation of the civil servants investigating the civil servants rather than an outside investigation. And the minister isn't even interviewed you know? The
0: minister wasn't there, and this is the, the reason. It, it is up to the secretary general of the department. It is the role of the accounting officer, who is the secretary general of the department, to um, um, to instigate disciplinary um, proceedings. It is not the role of the minister. So Simon Coveney was not there. That's very clear. Um, at the time, he heard about it after the event, um, and it was up to was the, the secretary general. He understood would deal with that. But I suppose knowing, action, and, 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 and he, he did say this morning. Render he did say this morning minister Coven, he did say this morning knowing now of the issue that it has become after 18 months he did ask then the, the now Secretary General to carry out a review no. which is appropriate that is his role but, I mean, no. he, but the Minister is accountable absolutely to the This, but it is up to the Secretary General the, the, who is the accounting agent within um, any, any government department to assess and to p- carry out a review of the staff so this, do you this, think this is people are at work just on workplace? that do you
3: think now because this report has been submitted before the Dole Committee, um, you know the Erasmus Committee on Foreign Affairs. So, when he, you know, presents himself in front of that committee, what should he be asked?
0: That's up to the members of the committee, what but it's do you very. Think? Do you think there are outstanding questions,
3: been, or do you think this is case closed? I, 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 I don't think concerned. there
0: are, but if the, if the if the Iraq this committee and that is their right, and Minister Coveney remains accountable to the Iraq this committee, he has gone before okay. them in the past and he will do again. Okay. And I know he's been very well, open and transparent. And we transparent. know he's and been before anybody, them in the past. I think anybody, anybody <laughs> who he is knows that any, all any all fair-minded himself. person will know that uh, Minister Simon Coveney is somebody of the highest integrity, a very right. hard worker, and is, um, has always been transparent and open. Philip. and he will be the first to say that this um, should not yes, have happened and, and, and we it was know a we've breach. heard his
3: explanation around that um, philip bryan when he does appear before that iraq this committee um, what questions do you think need to be answered around Ooh. the event
6: well the main one would be why didn't he do anything about this why did he know about this he saw it happening uh, and like deputy barry said it, it happened in the midst of of what was still essentially lockdown in the country you couldn't leave your county and um, you weren't supposed to go to work you, you, there was, uh, you had to have be a, a serious, essential reason to go into an office in the first place. Calling a few diplomats in other countries, I wouldn't have thought uh, justified that. The report says that was fine and that should be okay. But the, the main and overarching question for Simon Coveney is, you knew about this in June 2020, but you did nothing. And you only did something when the photo re-emerged and you were dragged kicking the screen into carrying out a review. Nick,
3: what about calls um, you know, that are being made for an independent inquiry, an external inquiry into this? Um, we, got, we got the report internally by the, the current Secretary-General of the Department. Is there a requirement now for another report? We've seen the photo. Um, we've got the information from staff who were there on the night. Is there a need um, to put resources into a new inquiry on this to see if there is, is more to look at?
1: Well, look, I heard an interesting conversation uh, there where someone was saying, here you have the civil servants investigating the civil servants. It's like the Gardaí... Investigating the Garda, and then someone else broke into the conversation and said, "It's not actually. It'd be the same as though there were an issue in a particular Garda station, and someone from that Garda station investigated rather than bringing in a guard." So would you be happy if outside. someone from
3: another department looked at this matter?
1: No, I wouldn't. I think there needs to be uh, an independent investigation, and I think that there and what are. What do you
3: think that? What What do you think will come of that? Like, what sort of outcome would you like to see from that, Mick?
1: Well. Let's see what an investigation finds. I don't have faith, I'll be blunt with you, in an investigation that's carried out by senior civil servants into senior civil servants. It should be from the outside. And I think there's a wider issue here. There's a wider issue for Simon Coveney in terms of his ability to gauge the public mood and to read the room. We saw that last week when one week after all the fine words in Dáil Éireann, the women of honour felt they had no alternative but to walk out of a meeting with them. Mm-hmm. So little change was he getting. But it's a wider issue for the government too, as you see today with the Leaving cert issue, in terms of being able to listen to young people and to ordinary people in the country in general.
0: I think that's very unfair. Minister Coveney, as I say, has always and remains accountable to the Rock. This um, has been very transparent about this. It is not. Um, it is up to the, the Secretary General of the Department. This is like a HR issue. It is up to the Secretary General in relation to a workplace, a staffing issue, as this was because those members it's of staff. This
3: is totally a HR issue, when is, this yes, is within, this, within these, a, a the, government department. These when were, we were in um, a level of lockdown abs- when the entire country was being told. What to do and how to behave. At the heart,
0: and it was wrong, absolutely of a, of wrong,
3: in the middle but of a who, pandemic. And, yeah, then, and it was wrong. And then we get yeah. one group in a room yeah. breaking those rules.
0: So how do so you, you deal with that? So your, your question so is, how, how do you deal with that? Who deals with that? The Secretary General of the Department, who today was not uh, in, in that position back in 2020, who is the Accounting Officer? Should it is, be, their like like is their role. Is there an it argument is, being mo- their like, You know, the cost, but not to to do a it was about the
3: argument for an external review of this. That. Uh, you know, getting a report internally from the current um, general secretary of a department investigating his own department. It's
0: very clear in You're this not report. You're
3: not necessarily. Even though you know we, we have got we have got clarity in their view on on the matter, some would say, "Have you got it all is the answers?" It's very
0: clear in this report, and uh, of the twenty-five people who were interviewed, and all the facts are laid out in this in this report. And they um, would support, for example, what Minister Coveney said happened uh, in relation to him coming later in the evening for fifteen minutes to thank staff. Um, I think it was very critical of the then Secretary General of the Department. I think there's a lot of reputational damage for um, a lot of the. the the staff within the within the department—that's very clear. Okay. I think it's a very—I actually think it's quite a hard-hitting uh, report, and I think it lays out all the facts. And that was the role of the Secretary General to carry that okay. out, not the Minister. So, and I think, yeah, it's, no, very there I think it's very important. I think it's very important to put that comments, in, 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 into perspective. The Minister's comments
6: are the, on, on just about the. The difference between the oversight that ministers seem to have over the civil service is quite interesting. We and Tarnished Tarnished Leo Radker we said something a couple of weeks ago as well that they were powerless to oversee the civil service or enact any kind of discipline. And I think the public aren't really aware of that. Mm-hmm. That but you elect you elect people, people like yourself to oversee a t- yep. a dep- to oversee a department because that'll be the general impression when people vote for you is that you're going in there to oversee a department. But it's clear from yourself and Tarnished that it, 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 that's not the case at all. Essentially, as a spokesperson staffing for staffing and
0: disciplinary measures are matters. That is a matter for HR and for the accounting officer within departments. Ministers, departments are accountable Johnson to the Boris Johnson would wish he would be able, able to facts. say
2: that and get away they're,
1: with they're,
0: it. There are the facts. But let's look at the report and let's look at the facts laid out in the reports, which is a very, and you said it yourself, yeah, quite, a hard, hitting, quite what, a hard hitting what, and critical report in relation to, to what happened at And nobody is denying that. I'm not trying to defend that. Just to
3: talk about what's going to happen now um, and these calls that we are hearing for an external review and inquiry into what happened do you think that there's public appetite for that Philip political appetite for it
6: look I think uh, essentially this episode is is more or less over uh, Simon Coveney has seen it true I think he's he's damaged uh, kind of long term I don't know if Hildegard will be voting for him in a, another leadership heave if there were to be one I've great but,
0: confidence in Minister Simon Coveney a very hard-working a very hard-working minister who who's done so much for this country in relation to Brexit, in relation to restoring Stormont. Um, I, I think anyone who's fair-minded listening to this and looking at this All event right. will see it for, for what it is. Okay. And it shouldn't have happened. Nobody's saying it should have. It absolutely should not have happened.
3: We'll have to leave it there. My thanks to Hildegard, Mick and Philip. Coming up after the break, the inaugural Bridget 2022 Festival takes place today. We take a look at the meaning behind the new public holiday. The day of celebration of St. Bridget and the lives of Irish women took place in Dublin today as part of the inaugural Bridget 2022 festival ahead of its designation next year as a bank holiday. Well, in studio to talk a little more about the meaning behind the festival is Lord Mayor of Dublin, Alison Gilliland, and on Skype, Director of Gender Studies in University College Dublin, Dr. Mary McAuliffe. And Mary, to come to you first on this, because you, you, you partook in the events today. Um, just to give us a little bit of background on St. Bridget and the idea of celebrating uh, her day um, as something that, as a person, essentially, who can reflect the modern day day woman and to look back at how women have helped shape history. What is it about Bridget that you believe makes her a cultural icon?
7: Well, I think you have to look at Bridget. Um, she's one of the three main saints of Ireland, Patrick, Killer and Bridget. Uh, And and Bridget is uh, obviously the only woman, Um, and I think it is important to celebrate Bridget. Um, Her her day is the first of February, the start of spring. But also, she herself, in in stories we know about Bridget, was a powerful abbess, a a woman with agency, a woman who got things done, who managed to, you know, get the land uh, in Kildare for her abbey to start. A movement to start a a double abbey, actually, where where, a monastery where men and women lived together. She also was a fighter. She was a healer. She was uh, uh, involved in smithing. She was a poet. She was a woman who resisted uh, the mores of her time. It is said uh, one of the um, apocryphal stories about Bridget is that when her uh, father was trying to marry her off, she plucked off her eye, uh, out her eye, rather than you know uh be attractive enough to be married off so she's a woman who decided what she was going to do herself and of course there's also the connection with our idea of the goddess the bride uh, the goddess bride so the two of them together um in sync with the start of spring or the 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 old festival of imbolc it's all about re- renewal re- beginning again taking stock um coming into spring and i think particularly now uh, because the last two years have been particularly difficult for people, but also the last few months, in terms of what has happened um, with women and and those awful attacks and and indeed the murder of, of Ashley Murphy, I think women are taking stock about life in this country and life in this society. And perhaps Bridget is somebody we can look to and somebody we can we can relate to who who you know took control of her own life. Um, and I think it's very a very powerful start we had this evening in Dublin, with several panels, with events, uh, with a, a beautiful musical evening in the Mansion House. It was the first time I'd been uh, at something in person in two years, um, and so it's it must have felt special, amazing after all this time. And, yeah, and yeah. an
3: interesting one as well, Alison, because um, you know, on this, um, as Lord Mayor, you came up with this idea just seven weeks ago.
2: Yeah, when I took office back in June, one of my priorities was to promote women, to celebrate women, acknowledge women's contribution and achievements. And basing the idea on Culture Night, which we know happens in September and is a programme of free events around the city and now around the country, I decided that we could put something together that would celebrate women, give spaces and opportunities to tell their stories, their heritage, particularly women from the past that may not have been celebrated or acknowledge and Mary was on one of those panels today looking particularly at women during the revolution and Irish independence so it was that bringing together of women for women by women and yes we only started seven weeks ago but um, everyone I asked to come on board really did sort of say yes this is something we'd love to do and we'd and love to you, be part of it feeling in coming up with that idea that
3: that's been lacking um, that celebration of women is this an event? that is for solely for women aimed at women or do you want everyone all of Dublin to get involved and indeed see it as something that could be replicated right across the country next year when it is a public holiday?
2: Absolutely, it is about women and it's to highlight and really emphasise the achievements of women because I think too often, particularly in the past, they have been overshadowed or perhaps forgotten and it is that everybody in the city, men, women, old, young, all get involved and the vision is yes, that it would grow year on year and become a national event and where people can really get out and as Mary said there, celebrate the strength of women and celebrate that fierceness that women have, celebrate their voices. And I think for, for young women watching this, it's inspiring them. It's also affirming women who, who yeah. do speak up and do put their head above the parapet.
3: Um, I I want to just ask you about that issue of celebrating culture and celebrating women, Um, given that, you know, we've missed so many culture nights, but also looking to the importance of culture and cultural spaces. There's two, you know, Science Gallery closing this week, Chapters Bookshop, much made of them, Um, these, you know, culturally significant places, um, you know, that help kind of make Dublin what it is. Closing this week and what we must do um, to help preserve the life in the city.
2: Absolutely. And I think we we want a city that works for the people that live in it, the people that work in it and the people that come to recreate in it. And we need to use the city. And, And sometimes I think with chapters closing, like it's a lovely bookshop. I think most people have bought a book in it. Were we using it enough? You know, I think there's been a shift, particularly in retail, to buying online. And when we look at at retail, particularly retail, closing, we should be asking ourselves, well, if I'm complaining about it, should I have, what could I have done to prevent this? Yeah, it's also about, would you agree with this? I don't know if Mary
3: is still with us, but um, just on the issue of maintaining a culture in the city when you have so many hotels cropping up and that big argument about, you know, looking forward Um, and, you know, inviting tourists in, but then the importance of the cultural spaces being there for them and for all of us.
7: Oh, absolutely. I mean, I went down to the Smithfield uh, to protest against what was happening in the cobblestones or might have happened with it and may still do. I think we really have to preserve our cultural spaces. I mean, what we sell uh, in tourism, but also a livable city for ourselves and and indeed a livable country. Is our culture, our heritage, song, music, dance, history, uh, our built heritage, our material culture. That's that, you know, we don't have the sunshine, um, but we have the landscape and we have the culture and we have the written word. And, and, you know, this year we have Joyce 100 and there's going to be so much about that. Uh, And we need to continue to celebrate and we can't keep building hotels. Because, you know, we can get all the tourists in the world to come here, but if there's nothing for them to go to or to see, what can we do? All right, a good point to leave it on. Food for thought, and indeed,
3: best wishes, um, congratulations on the event and best wishes for for the future. That's it from us. My thanks to Mary McAuliffe, Alison Gilliland, and all our guests. Our programme is available as a podcast on all major platforms. Our next news is on Ireland AM tomorrow morning. But from all the late team here, good night. Take care.
2: Is a Virgin Media Originals podcast series. Want truly hydrated skin? Midosia's Body Care Breakthrough, Hyaluronic Body Serum. It's clinically proven to increase hydration by 161%. It's lightweight, fast absorbing, and delivers 24 hours of hydration for silky smooth skin without any sticky afterfeel.